We have been in a series in the life of Moses, uh, a man who was born uh, to an Israelite household as they were slaves in Egypt. He was born under a genocidal pharaoh who was killing all of the male boys uh, of the Israelite nation uh, as they were born. Um, But Uh, By miraculous events and God's provision, uh, Moses survived and, in fact, was raised in Pharaoh's household by his daughter. For 40 years, he was raised uh, an Israelite living in an Egyptian household while his people, uh, the Israelites, were enslaved there in Egypt. Uh, After 40 years, he fled Egypt, uh, and he ended up a shepherd out in a region called Midian. Uh, For 40 years, he was a shepherd until God came to him, and he said, get your old bones up. He's an 80-year-old man at this point. He says, get up because I'm leading you back to Egypt because you are going to lead my people out of that nation. And so uh, Moses, of course, God, the power behind all of it, leads the people out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They're free from the army, and they head towards a mountain called Mount Sinai. Uh, Mount Sinai, often uh, also called Mount Horeb, it is the mountain of God. And it's a central place in the Israelite story. For quite some time, they'll be there. The Israelite people will experience God at this place. God will appear to Moses. And today, we look at uh, a, a pinnacle event here at Mount Sinai, where God begins to give uh, the law for the Israelites to live by. We'll talk a bunch more in a minute about what that looks like and why that is. But I want to preface the conversation before we dig into the text. We're going to be in Exodus 19 and 20 today. I want to preface it by saying that uh, God's law, as he rolls it out for the Israelite people, has two primary purposes. Uh, first, um, it is to lay out um, expectations for his people for their well-being. Okay, So I want to highlight this idea that law is for their well-being that as a nation, they would thrive and do well. Uh, Secondly, the law is unashamedly for God's own purposes, that he would be known in the world, that the way his people engaged in the world and operated as a nation would be a demonstration to all the world of who God is and what he holds in in high value and, and God's characteristics and his ideals for the world, his intent for the world, would be known through this nation of Israel. So God begins uh, to lay out for the people his commandments. They've been freed from Egypt. They've been slaves for uh, generation after generation. Now they are a free people at the foot of this mountain, and God is going to begin to lay out for them. This is how I want you to, to, to exist, to operate, to live in this world. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Tell the people of Israel, you yourself have seen what I did. This is God speaking. You have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, God prefaces this conversation with a couple of things. Uh, First of all, God reminds them, it is I that delivered you out of Egypt. I carried you on eagle's wings, this beautiful poetic language of how God carried them out of the turmoil, the suffering, the death, and the destruction of slavery in Egypt. I have carried you out to this new place. And God begins to lay out for them expectations. Obey me fully and keep my covenant. And he describes for Israel their position. First, their position before him, and then their position in the world. 
he says, your position before me is as a treasured possession. Do you have something like that? Maybe it's something that you worked for for a long, long time, saved for, and that you cherish greatly, or maybe it's a family heirloom or something along those lines. But God says, Israel, this is how I will view you. You will be my treasured possession, my most valuable possession. I will love you. I will appreciate you. I will care for you as a treasured possession. So Israel, in the eyes of God, will be his treasured possession. And in relation to the world, they will be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. Now, this kingdom of priests is beautiful language, and it'll be picked up again in the New Testament, and we'll glance at that uh, towards the end here today. Um, But a kingdom of priests, priests' purpose were not to receive God's blessing or knowledge of him for themselves. Of course, a priest's purpose is then to disseminate that information and to be that intermediary between humanity and God. And God describes in the very beginning of his covenant with Israel, you will be those people. You will be those people that the world comes to know me through. Israel had a purpose in this world, and many times Israel will lose sight of that and operate in a very selfish, uh, God is for me and not for them sorts of ways. However, God lays out in the beginning their position as priests in this world. Israel hears this offer, uh, as God just described it to them, and they say, well, that sounds like a pretty good offer. We'll take that. Thanks for uh, getting us out of Egypt, and we will follow you. Now, what's ironic, if you go on to read um, uh, the book of Exodus, you'll find laws given. Uh, for the next couple books in, in your Old Testament, you'll find laws being given, and interspersed in between these sections of law giving is going to be stories of Israel breaking covenant and not following the laws. It will be a tumultuous and challenging relationship all the way through until finally God sends to Israel Jesus to be born into the nation of Israel and out of Israel to come the blessing that he has promised to the entire world. So God lays out his expectations beginning with 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I do want to clarify in, in the Hebrew, uh, the Old Testament document um, that that is translated into English for us. In the Hebrew, um, you might not call these Ten Commandments as much as the words of God. Literally, that's what the section is introduced as. Uh, These are the words of God. And he prefaces, he couches the entire conversation of, these are my expectations. These are the beginning of the commandments, the laws, the expectations I have for you. He couches the entire conversation in this, I am the Lord your God, I brought you out of Egypt. You might remember when God first appears to Moses at, at a burning bush, and, and Moses is arguing, I don't know if I can do this, uh, I'm not the person to sin, and God's, and, and one of Moses' argument is, who do I say sent me? Who, who do, who I tell them sent me? And so God chooses a name for himself, I am. Now again, if we were to go back to the Hebrew, we would be wise to understand a much broader uh, idea than maybe we hear in English. It would mean, I am who I have been, I am who I will be, I am. It is the broadest, most vast name for God that he could choose for himself in the Hebrew language. God says, I am, that is who I am. So God couches the commandments in, I am who I have been, who I will be, and I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. And his commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, You shall not make for yourself an image that is an idol in the form of anything in heaven above 
heaven above or on the earth or in the waters below. And I'm, and I'm going to abbreviate some of these. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. There we have the Ten Commandments. For many of us, these are kind of familiar texts. We're going to talk a minute about how we relate to Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments. Uh, but it's worth just taking a moment uh, to explore some of the significance of this. Now, as I mentioned, if you read on, God is going to um, uh, provide for the nation many other laws and many other expectations. Um, and these first ten are unique in a number of different ways. Uh, first of all, in the other laws that would govern the nation of Israel, there's consequences associated with breaking those laws. We don't have that here in these Ten Commandments. They're written kind of in a different literary form. Uh, these are God's uh, qualifications qualifications, expectations for his people in kind of a broader, more general sense than the specific laws that will follow. Um, Further, uh, it would be very different um, to litigate to uh, bring consequence for some of the laws listed here, like do not covet, right? That's not something you'd often see uh, playing out in a courtroom or decided by a judge. So there's a little bit different than the laws that we see. And finally, um, these commandments to some degree, uh, as opposed to um, being like a law, do this or else here's your consequence, uh, God begins to describe his nature. Remember how he started this whole conversation, I am who I have been and who I will be. And God goes on to, in these commandments, begin to describe for the nation of Israel what he is like and what it looks like to live into his way of being in this world. So we see in this a little bit of a description of who God is. Now, we see in the Ten Commandments, um, often people will break these up into two sections. The first four have to do with Israel's relationship with God. So things like, have no other gods, don't make any idols, uh, don't misuse my name, which, by the way, probably has more of a connotation of don't disobey my commandments, uh, but instead live into the way that I am and and inviting you into this world. Um, and then finally, keep the Sabbath day holy. Uh, so the first four have to do with Israel's relationship with God. Uh, the fourth one there, the Sabbath one, actually, uh, if we read all of it, starts to transition now into a our relation to other people because it's going to have to do with how they deal with uh, people or their animals. Um, it's going to start to transition into the final six commandments that have to do with how to deal with other people. Um, so honor your father and mother and don't murder and don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't give false testimony. And don't covet uh, things that your neighbor has. Now, in these, this is where I'll pull upon a previous thread for just a moment, um, where we see God describing his character. So he says, don't commit adultery. And pretty much universally across uh, historic lines and nations, this has been understood, live in in a covenant relationship. It's nothing new or terribly extraordinary. But in God describing that as one of the central ideas of his people, he's also saying, understand, I don't commit adultery, right? We, we recognize in the character of God this promise to the Israelite people that 
I won't be going out uh, for other, other nations or other things or other people, but I am inviting you into a special relationship that I will be faithful to. So he describes in some respect himself in these. Now, later Jesus will come to sum up um, the law in the Old Testament in two commandments. He's asked, uh, what, are the great, what is the greatest commandment uh, in the Old Testament? This was a common conversation amongst Israelites, and he lists a command and then a second that are literally commands, but it's interesting to see them paralleled in these Ten Commandments that God begins with for his nation, Israel. Uh, a love for God and a love for people. A way to engage God and a way to engage other people in this world. Jesus, in summing them up, says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He says, with everything you have, commit your love to God. And and then he goes on to answer a question that he wasn't even asked in that moment. Uh, But he says, and the second greatest commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on then to describe your neighbor as anyone and everyone you come in contact with. Jesus says, love will be the central thing. And, And we see it play out a little bit in the first four and the latter six Ten Commandments. Uh, Love will be central to all of this. Now, uh, many people have pointed out that um, there's kind of three types of law that will be given to the Israelite people. The first is a moral law. A moral law that has to do with how to live, what is right and what is wrong uh, for these people, the Israelite people. Um, and so that's generally what we see described here in the Ten Commandments. It's a part of what we would group as the moral law found in the Old Testament. Secondly, there's going to be a civil law. And the civil law has to do with how God wants the nation of Israel to govern themselves, what it will look like to govern yourself as a nation. Remember, they've just come out of slavery. They haven't governed themselves for forever. And so God will lay out for the Israelite nation also a civil law, how they'll operate as a nation. And then thirdly, uh, often um, is discussed the ceremonial law. So God will describe how the priests are to offer sacrifices and worship him and what it looks like for the Israelites to come to him and to worship him and and to be in his presence. So we have the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. Now, um, there is a fourth kind of law, and um, uh, I I call it like the... um, Oh, I have a couple different words for it that I'm uh, debating, but it's kind of the practical law, okay? It's like the things you should have known, but God's going to tell you anyways. And I just want to give you an example, um, and I want to do this because I want you to know that this verse is in Scripture. Um, So in Exodus 20, uh, he's just given the Ten Commandments, and now he's talking about um, building an altar to him. If you make an altar, in verse 25, out of stones for me, do not build it uh, with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. That's in Scripture. This is like the no-duh sort of law. I mean, come on. We could have known that ourselves, and yet God is going to give this fourth category of law. There's moral, there's civil, there's ceremonial, and then there's just these obvious things that you should have known, but God's going to make sure uh, you get it. I love this law. It's important stuff. 
Nextly, on a much more serious note, God is going to lay out um, laws that revolve around social justice, laws that have to do with how his nation will be just and fair and be seen by other nations as very distinctive and unique. I'll highlight just a little bit of that. In uh, chapter 20, 22, verse 22, he says, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. And he'll go on to speak of the punishment that will, uh, that will be the fallout of doing these sorts of things. This begins to speak of social justice. What does it look like to be just and fair and treat people rightly within our nation? And it speaks to foreigners as well. In chapter 23, verse 4, uh, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. You know, Jesus uh, will come back and he'll speak of love even for our enemies, but that wasn't a foreign theme in Israel. I mean, even God, in the very beginning of the rollout of his law, he says, even if it's your enemy, do what is right. Return to them what is there. So there's a major question, I think, that we get to ask today. I'm going to zoom out for a moment. Uh, as you think back through the Ten Commandments and some of the law that's being given, and as you look in your Bible and, and just consider some of those I'm going to zoom out and ask the question that I think is, is really pertinent. So to what ex- how do we relate to the law that God gave to Israel, right? Uh, are, are we bound by the Ten Commandments? Are we expected to uphold the laws of the Old Testament, or has something new come? Has something changed? Many people on the subject of how do we relate to the Old Testament law would uh, call our attention to the moral law. And they will say, well, God's moral law is universal. Um, We can read that and we can see what God expects of our actions and our lives and what to do. And I think there's some credence to be given to that. I think there's wisdom in that. Um, Some people uh, would would take a, a little bit of a different approach and ask, well, what of the Old Testament law is discussed by Jesus or the New Testament author? right? Uh, So those things that carried over into the first century church, well, these are things that we should hold um, in high esteem and and live into ourselves. Uh, There is for sure this one general consensus, um, though, that Jesus has fulfilled the law. Fulfillment is the language of Scripture seen in a number of places. We'll look at just two verses here in a moment. But the idea that are we under the Old Testament law? Are we under the Old Testament covenant? Are we expected to uphold the Ten Commandments? Well, yes, in many respects we are because it describes what God expects of his people. However, we are not under the burden and expectation of the law in the same way that Israel because in Jesus, um, the law has been fulfilled. Jesus himself says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. There has been some sort of completion of the purpose of the law for these Israelite people. And we begin to see in the New Testament church and the, and the writings of the first century Christians that we find in the New Testament, we begin to see this transition and, and question of, so then what does it look like to live into the way of God as followers of Jesus under this new covenant, this covenant, which by the way, um, uh, I would prefer not the language of the old is done, but instead the church has been invited into the continued work and story of God in this world. So whereas God had a covenant with Israel, we the church are invited into the next chapter of the story of God's work in this world. We are the people of covenant. Um, It's described in the New Testament in a number of different ways. Uh, Romans chapter 13 verse 8 says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. For whoever loves uh, others has fulfilled the law. 
The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You get how first century authors are are beginning to shift the conversation from do we need to follow all of these rules to what Jesus said, love God and love people, right? They're beginning to shift the conversation to say there is fulfillment in all of those things. If you learn to love each other well and people in the world well, you will fulfill and you will be living into the way of God that encompasses those commandments that were given to the Israelite people. So what is the application of, of all of this? Like, what is, what is the story that Moses receives the Ten Commandments, the, the Israelite people hear these Ten Commandments, God continues to lay out law for them? What does it mean in our lives? What, what do we take from this today? Well, first of all, I want us to recall the language of a treasured possession and a royal priesthood. Remember, that's what, that's what God said of the Israelite people. If you keep my commands... If you walk with me, you will be a treasured possession and a royal priesthood in this world. A chosen people. First Peter 2 describes our continued, or, or our, our invitation into God's covenant in this way. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Same language as, as we found in Exodus. A holy nation. Again, the same. God's special possession. So he adopts all the language of that Exodus covenant that we were reading in chapters 19 and 20 today of Exodus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's speaking covenant language to the church, saying, you are invited, you are the people of God. God had couched the conversation with Israel, saying, I am the Lord your God, and I brought you out of Egypt. Here, Peter is going to draw our attention to the fact that we have been brought out of darkness into light. God has rescued us from slavery, rescued us from sin. He has shown us mercy, the the verse will say in the end, and invited us into this new covenant and new relationship with him. As we saw with Israel, a covenant with God comes with expectations. So what does God expect of us? Now, we could spend series and weeks and months and years talking about the details of this, but I want to take from our Exodus text and the verses we've looked at today uh, these three principles. God has expectations for us, his covenant people. Uh, First, to reflect his character, right? It is God's purpose for our lives that we would reflect his character in this world. Secondly, that we would reciprocate his love, the love that God has given to us, the love that he's demonstrated, that Jesus demonstrated through self-sacrifice. He says, I want you to reciprocate that love in the world. So reflect my character, particularly in love. And then finally, he has invited us to be a royal priesthood, a royal people, a church that is his witnesses in this world, that both through demonstration and through word declare to the world a good God that loves and is inviting them to uh, to his healing, to his hope, and participation in the good things that he's doing in this world. So, as covenant people, as followers of Jesus, we, the church, are invited to reflect God's character, to demonstrate his love in this world, and to participate in his good work. Let's pray about that.
God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for an opportunity to be together. Thank you for your word. And God, as we read uh, stories that are thousands of years old about your relationship and covenant with the nation Israel, God, we're thankful for your faithfulness that you brought to fruition the promise to bless through the world this nation, uh, to, to bless the world through this nation. So God, we're thankful that we are recipients of that blessing. And further, God, that you have invited us into your life to your love, into your work. And so, God, may we be a people that reflect your love and goodness, that participate in your good work in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.